Welcome back to the Drive and Kick SB Nation NBA podcast. Many teams use the Drive and Kick as a staple of their offense. Drive. Kicks out. Drives. Kick out. It requires a team with effective dribblers. Quick crossover and a drive. Passers. What a pass. And shooters. Quick release. Three-pointer. That's good. I'm your host, Paul Flannery. Let's see how it's done. Welcome back to the Drive and Kick podcast. This is Paul Flannery, a very tired Paul Flannery, joined by a very exhausted John Gonzalez after some amazing playoff action that we both we both been uh, privileged to witness over the last few days. Gonz, the the playoffs have started. The first round is fun. It's an appetizer. You know, it's it's you can gorge on the first round, but the playoffs have now started. How are you, sir? They're well underway. I'm uh, I'm wonderful. I'm in an Oakland. Uh, near the airport Marriott, getting ready for Warriors practice. I was at Game One last night, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. First, we want to uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. Please leave us a review. Please subscribe. Give us a rating. We really appreciate it. Uh, but first, we're going to start with your series, Paul Flannery, which Isaiah Thomas is really something special. Last night, when uh, Game One here in Oakland tips off, and nobody on press row where I was sitting, was watching the game on the court in front of us, and everybody was watching the overtime thriller and Isaiah Thomas. It's unbelievable. It's it's just unbelievable, and, and everybody's stunned. You know, I mean, like I, I've, I've watched him do some amazing things in the two and a half years since he's been in Boston. And, you know, I really I really like Isaiah. Like, it's it's hard not to like the kid, right? Like, I mean, he plays so hard. Obviously, he's five foot nine, allegedly. And I love that you call I'm a kid too because we're all old now. Yeah, well, we are all old, and yeah, he's a kid to me. It's like at some point, no, no, he is, and I'm saying like it's a it's a referendum on how old we are because That's at some true. point uh, we look around and we're like, oh god, we're older than all the old guys who are still playing. Quick story, quick story. I was talking to Amir Johnson last night, who's awesome, one of the great dudes in the league, about Isaiah, and he looks at me, he's like, hey, big dog, I hit the thirty club. Big three zero, and I'm like, yeah, man. I went past that like 13 years ago, um, a long time ago. So anyway, uh, anyway, so Isaiah, he's really easy to root for, you know, and just the way he plays, he's all heart and everything else. But he's become such a good player, and you know, everything that's happened right now with his sister, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough situation, John. Like, because and and you you've been in these before as a writer, as a reporter, someone who's been near something like this. Like, everybody's keeping kind of a respectful distance. Uh, you know, it's been requested, like no no questions about it, please, all this kind of stuff. But it's there. It's just sitting there. We all know it. When we all know what he's doing, I mean, you know, he's flying back and forth across the country. He delivered a beautiful, heartfelt eulogy on Saturday. Came back in time at four o'clock in the morning for a game on Sunday, which he then dropped thirty-three points. And then on top of that, he had like six hours of oral surgery on Monday, three more on Tuesday. Comes back and scores fifty-three. I mean, on what would have been his sister's birthday. Like this is ridiculous. I mean, if if you're watching the movie of this, you're like, okay, that was like three details too many here. Like, you know, you're tugging at the heartstrings a little too much. When he said, and we kind of knew, but when he said yesterday, last night, in the post game press conference, um, today was my sister's birthday. She would have been 23. Everything I do is for her. Like, I mean, uh, you know, we're we're hard and professionals here. A lot of us were catching up. We're choking up. It was it was deep. And to have that kind of performance, I don't even know where to start with it, right? Like the basketball stuff is amazing. The personal stuff is even better than that. Uh, more, more impressive than that, I should say. And like, I mean, so from a, I, I, 
I'm in it. I'm living it. So it's it's kind of hard for me to get perspective from afar. Like, what are you seeing here? It's staggering. Um, it's really like just just from a logistics. I mean, all the things that you said about how, you know, like the emotional gravity that he has to carry around or that he's weighed down by is absolutely right. I can't imagine uh, how strong he has to be to be able to do all of these things and to be able to play an NBA basketball game, several NBA basketball games. And, to, you know, like to marshal his strength. I mean, you know, we saw him um, crying after it happened on the bench right before the game. And then he goes out there and he keeps playing. And um, to continue to do this, and like you said, to fly across the country after delivering the eulogy. That game, by the way, like, like the emotional gravity of it is, is, you know, hugely powerful. And I would imagine difficult for him to shoulder. But just logistically, as a human being, right. being asked to, like, I don't like flying, you know, like two hours. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm cranky, I'm tired, I'm not playing a basketball game, I just have to put words on a page. And I'm like, ah, you know, I feel sluggish. This guy flew across the country and played a game that tipped at, what, 12.30 your time? Is that what time it was? It was 1 o'clock. Yeah, 1 o'clock. So o'clock. he got in at okay. 4 in the morning. By the way, what's the NBA doing with that? They couldn't have tipped that game later. Hey, put, man. Like, Whoa. Was on. The <laughs> was weird. Like, I don't yeah. understand. Why didn't Cleveland play that day? They were off. Like Nobody was happy about this. I mean, the reason why Cleveland didn't play that day was because they were slotted in to be a Monday start, right? And so the NBA wanted to make sure they had games ready to go on Sunday. Turned out we had a game seven, the Clippers in Utah. So, you know, on some on some level, you didn't need that game. Um, it was unfair to both teams. I felt like both teams were on the road. Both teams had a quick that was turnaround. My point. Yeah, and nobody was nobody was thrilled with it. Nobody was happy about it. Um, and you know so and, that was my that was my point. Like he had it. Nobody was happy about it. And then on top of that, he had to deal with all of that. And then he went out there and crushed it. Playing like I I got to be honest. Like I didn't expect this. I didn't expect um, you know especially after like they got that sluggish start in that game and it looked like Washington was going to get out on a run. And I was like, okay, see, this is what's going to happen. I mean, like, this is like they're at a disadvantage. And then all of a sudden, he went bonkers and the Celtics went bonkers. And now it looks like, you know, they could, they, maybe they romp in this series. Who knows? I mean, we've seen, we've seen uh, how these things can swing after uh, they go to another uh, venue. But still, like, it's really a remote doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, let's, let's be real about this, too. Like, that was John Wall's game. John Wall controlled yep. that game from start to finish. He was he had the whole thing on a string. The Celtics had no answer for him. He was dealing. When they tried to send a double at him, he just picked him apart. When they single covered him, he just went to the basket. He he was he was destroying them. And then Isaiah took over. And you know, I don't know how many Wall had in the fourth and overtime, but I know Isaiah had twenty nine. Twenty nine. And the Wizards had thirty as a team. So I mean you know, at some point and this is where uh, this is where the mystical thing happens, right? This is where the out-of-body experience happens. This is where the you-can't-explain-it happens. And as a writer, you have to be very cautious about not diving into terrible cliches about you know this, that, and the other. But he, Isaiah Thomas, had more energy than anyone else on the court in the fourth quarter and in overtime. More energy. It's not that he's fitter. I mean, we're in May. Like, everybody's fit. Right. He had more energy. I mean, he jumped out and defended wall on on uh on switches and he defend he challenged marcin gortat at the rim and made gortat pass out <laughs> he did twice twice I, it was staggering to watch this happen this energy that he had the entire time 
I mean, it's, you know, it's the stuff of legend and it's just, and, and, and you, you start going on and you start building it up and you start doing your sports writer thing and then you're reminded that it's just so tragic. And like, you, you, you know, it's like, it's just hard to, concept, to, to put into words and to, and to conceptualize everything that's going on here because at the end of the day, it's just freaking tragic. It really is. And like, I, and again, like, I think like watching him be able to pull this off is, I, I don't know how he, how he does it. I mean, like I, I couldn't do, forget about like the physical ability, obviously he's an NBA player, but I'm saying just, just like the day to day human stuff. Like right. I, I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Like I, like I said, I mean, like just being able to get up and like go through my routine and like get on a plane and like get, keep my shit together and like you know deal with my like be a comfort to my family. Like, he's a dad. A I mean, he's a good dad yeah. too. From what I, from yeah, from everything we can see, it's a lot of stuff. Um, it's a lot of stuff. But that, but then there's also the basketball stuff, and I, and I like I don't want to. I absolutely do not want to minimize what's happening with Isaiah Thomas off the court. But I do want to ask you some on the court. Yeah, sure. Because. Because uh, you're in the series, and I'm, you know, dealing with a different one here on the West Coast. Before the playoffs started, we talked about you mentioned Isaiah's defense, and we talked about a couple of things with Isaiah, like who do you hide him on? Have you been surprised about? I mean, like clearly you've been surprised about that component of it. Um, are you surprised though with with the Celtics overall? Because in this last series, you know they they weren't rebounding well, they weren't necessarily even playing well. They kind of like stumbled through that Bulls series. And now all of a sudden, it looks like the Celtics version that we expected them to be going into the playoffs. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect them to be this good. You know, the last time I saw a Celtics team win six straight postseason games, it was 2010. And the KG, Pierce, Ray Allen team shocked everybody by ripping off three straight against the Cavs and three straight against the Magic. And all. next thing you know, they're in the NBA Finals, right? Like, that's the kind of run they're on. These, are, these kind of runs do not happen all the time. Um, it was a really big deal when they went small. That totally changed everything. Um, they still haven't found the right starting lineup to deal with Washington. I, the, I think, you know, they are – the matchups here are fascinating because game one, Marcus Smart guarded John Wall mm-hmm. and Avery Bradley guarded Bradley Beal. And you might think that would be the opposite, right? But, you know, Avery is awesome going around screens, fighting through screens to keep up with Bradley. Game two – you know, Terry Rozier guarded John Wall, Avery guarded John Wall, Isaiah guarded John Wall, uh, Marcus guarded John Wall. Beal was kind of invisible. And so when when all these things are happening, Kelly Oubre's had to play more. There's more of a place to hide Isaiah defensively. That said, he's actually played pretty well defensively. You know, and every time the Wizards get a mismatch, they immediately, you know, they, sw- they get a switch with Isaiah. They immediately try to back him down and post him up. And that's fine. Sure. But you know what? You're still taking a 15-foot pull-away, fade-away jumper instead of working your offense, getting something at the basket, or getting a three. Mm-hmm. What, what, about, what about also like uh, the, the post-matchups? Because we talked about um, you know, how difficult it was in the previous round when the Bulls went big and they were just crushing the Celtics on the glass. And now all of a sudden, it seems like Al Horford is playing a little better. A quick aside about the Al Horford thing. I hear Wizards fans screaming about the whole Keith Morris play and how um, Horford was a little dirty. What's Horford as a dude? How's Horford as a dude? Are like you top notch. <laughs> they don't come any okay, better than I, that's Horford. What I, told, I didn't think so. I mean, apparently there was an issue when he was in Atlanta with Bradley Beal in a similar play they were talking about on the game broadcast. But yeah. uh, it just seemed like surprising that people would like 
try to indict him on. I get so annoyed by this. It's, it's, you know, okay, every injury and freak thing that happens in an NBA game is not necessarily dirty. Okay? Right. C- can we stop with that, please? It's like, you know, Cavs fans used to freak out. They freaked out about Kelly Olynyk's armbar on Kevin Love, which was dirty, right? They had Delhi at the same time diving at people's legs, and they're like, oh, no, he just plays hard. Like, so we need to st- please stop with the dirty stuff. Like, I think that we have a general idea of what's dirty and what's a freak play. Um, you know, there's a lot could he have been a little bit more careful with his limbs i guess but like come on like there i've seen guys slide their feet underneath a shooter that is dirty you're racing out to contest a shot in the playoffs stop it come on all right yeah no i think that's i think i think that's fair i really do like the uh the hypocrisy of cast fans on that that you outlined i had forgotten about the arm bar the arm bar is amazing uh and you're right like uh they had delhi at the time so it's i mean like how could you make that case when when they've got people diving all over the floor? I think it's one of those situations where if it's your guy, it's clean, and if it's not, it's dirty. Of course, of course. You know, so that's just the way it goes. Unless um, you have Matt Barnes. So, so okay, so these first two games, though, even though the Celtics have acquitted themselves nicely, like I said, that first game, it looked like the Wizards were going to get out and, and and just smack them, and it switched. And then this last game, like you said, John Wall had it on a string; they didn't have an answer for him, and then you know. Isaiah Thomas goes off and does his Isaiah Thomas thing, and they win it in overtime. Uh, so do you have a feel for this series? Because, uh, you know, yes, the Celtics won both games, but game one, to start, the Wizards were really good, and it looked like they might get out on a run and, and just crush the Celtics, and it flipped. And then game two, like you said, John Wall had it on a string. It was his game. They didn't have an answer for him, and then all of a sudden Isaiah does his Isaiah stuff, and they go into overtime, and they win it. But really, you could have seen either game potentially going to the Wizards, so... Do you have a feel for how this might go? I mean, do you feel like it's the Celtics series? I, obviously, it is right now because they're up 2 nothing. But we haven't gone to Washington yet, and the home team hasn't lost a game yet. So would you be surprised if they got it even if it went to Washington? No, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, I do think – look, this is not an original thought here, but every, everyone thought that game one was there for the Wizards to be had. They got out to that 16-0 lead. And they blew it. That was the game that they that they blew. You know, last night, Tuesday night, game two, that was that was some historic stuff. Again, they had it. They couldn't they couldn't close it. Um, I feel like game one is the one they should be kicking themselves about, to be honest with you. But so would it surprise me? No, the Wizards are a really good home team. Um, you know, everybody plays better at home, blah, 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 blah. But um if I'm the Celtics, you know, there's the other thing with this series. Game three is Thursday. Game four is not until Monday. No, Sunday. Sunday, I think. Really? Yeah. So they've got two days off there. You know, if the Wizards can get game three, then all of a sudden they have a chance to catch their breath, bring it back, you know, all that stuff. Um, so I think game three becomes super, super important. It comes down to who can make shots, man. I mean, the Wizards are not the worst matchup for the Celtics from a physical standpoint. And Mar- the, the Morris injury doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help. How did he look afterwards? Who's that, Markeith? Yeah. I mean, I thought he looked okay yesterday, you know, but he only played like 20 minutes. So, you know, and they they have a hard time. If they lose anybody out of that lineup, they have a really hard time because their bench is dreadful. I mean, they got out to a huge lead the other day, as they did in in game one, and they bench gave it back by the middle of the second quarter. Like, that's just the way, that's just the way they go. Yeah. I, I, I was really excited for the series, and like I said, I was watching the very tail end of it uh, when our game tipped off in Oakland last night. But um, 
I haven't really been able to see as much of it as I wanted. And like, I thought that the Wizards would give them like significant matchup issues. And I'm and I'm just sort of surprised that they didn't steal one in Boston, especially with the way that the scores went. But again, it goes back to what you were saying about Isaiah. I mean, like he is he's been otherworldly. So, yeah. but they've all been good. I mean, Terry, Terry Rozier had the best game of his career in Game Two. Terry Rozier was one of the best players on the court. He was awesome. Can I? Can I know. Say, uh, not to take anything away from Terry Rozier. Short list, I think, probably sure. on the on the greatest Terry Rozier games ever. That's like, fine. How long is that and you know what? He's probably their second best defensive rebounder right now, which is bananas. And he's really good at it. And he's really uh, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown hadn't played in like three games. They brought him in there in game one with six minutes to go. He made three smart plays in a row. And the reason he was in there was because Marcus Smart took himself out because he made three boneheaded plays in a row. When you have this kind of continuity between players each other between the coach and the players and everybody else, you know, you can start to do things that maybe you didn't think you could do before. And so, yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, it's on the wizards to get one back. The Celtics, man, it was what two weeks ago. We were talking about how they were (laughs) biggest disappointment. And I said this too, man, I said, this is going to be the most, this is going to be the most fun series of the second round. And people got mad at me. Oh no, the rocket spurs will be so much more fun. That's not fun. These, ser- these games have been enjoyable to watch. If you're sitting on your couch, you're like, holy shit, did you just see that? That was awesome. Let me run that back. Who's got the gif? Like, that's what I mean by fun. These games have been enjoyable to watch and fun. Entertaining. Uh, we're going to get into Spurs Rockets, which was not fun. You know what also was not fun? The first game of the series that I watched <laughs> last night in Oakland. Tell me about it because I didn't see a second of it. <laughs> well, uh, just imagine what you think it was, and that's what it was. Like... Like the Jazz, okay, so the Jazz played great in Game 7. I was at Game 7. They had that whole game. Uh, I think the Clippers led for 33 seconds plan. They were never in it. They just looked like they wanted to go away. J.J. Redick was terrible. I don't want to do any more Clippers. We've talked so much no about No more Clippers. Clippers. Clipper-free zone. <laughs> Clipper-free zone. I've written too much about the Clippers. The Jazz, though, were interesting to me coming out of L.A. I wrote a big piece for The Ringer about Gordon Hayward. He played amazing, except for the one game where he had food poisoning plan. His numbers were crazy. I mean, he shot like 47% from three, 47 from the floor. He was like 95 from the line, 27 points and change. I mean, he did everything. He looked phenomenal. And I thought, okay, well, I didn't expect, and I don't expect, the. I, I figure it's going to be a sweep, right? Everybody figures it's going to be a sweep. Maybe the Jazz steal one in Utah. But I did expect them to at least present certain issues uh, on the interior we've talked all season long about if there's a problem for the warriors you know like what do they do with zaza and you know like what do they do with javel and uh, uh you know maybe it's something like near the rim that could get them issues dude no <laughs> it was start to finish an abomination i mean they just ran them off the floor i don't think i don't i'm pretty sure the jazz didn't score for the first four minutes it was crazy so what you, what you missed was nothing. You missed the, the Warriors being the Warriors and the poor Jazz just being victim to it. I, I picked this in five. And oh, you did? Yeah, I picked Golden State in five. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be particularly competitive. Um, and you know, I figure like there may, maybe there's a Utah game in there for them, right, where the crowd gets into it. But like, you know, watch, watching that last night, did you see any sliver of chance here for the Jazz or do you think it's just – no, I mean it was it was awful. I, I don't know. I'm gonna guess you were asleep by the time this happened. Uh, I was writing. <laughs> I went to bed at three in the morning. <laughs> you were writing. So poor Rudy Gobert gets put out on an island. And yo, do you remember back in the day, like 
when Barry Sanders turned that poor <laughs> Patriots cornerback around. Yeah, yeah, right. Steph Curry was Barry Sanders. It was amazing. And not so amazing, though, if you're Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. Then it's just terrible and sad. Um, Rudy Gobert at the rim, amazing, fantastic. His limbs are crazy. Rudy Gobert out on Steph Curry on the perimeter, bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> he put him, Steph Curry put him in a clown suit, man. It was terrible, and that was the perfect microcosm of that game. There was nothing that the Jazz did that the Warriors didn't have 12 answers for. And there was nothing that the Warriors did that the Jazz had any answers for. I love that it's already gotten petty, though. I love that the you know that the Warriors were already complaining about the nightlife in in, in Salt Lake City before they even got there, you know. It's good. <laughs> the Warriors are being petty again. We missed you guys. Welcome back. Can you, if there's any single thing you could point to for how little regard they have for this series, that's it. Like the Jazz are asked about the Warriors, and they, and they give a million different answers about a million different things about how they're game planning. And the Warriors are asked about the Jazz, and they go, ah, we were really hoping the Clippers would go so we could go to L.A. They don't care. <laughs> this is like not on their radar at all. It's like it's like, it's like the classic LeBron quote last year when they were 2-2 in, uh, against Toronto and go back to Cleveland, and he goes, I've been in a lot of difficult situations in my career. This isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, real quick before we get out of here, real before we get out of here because we've we've had some uh, audio issues and we apologize for that and we're going to clean that up next week but what do you think happens with gordon hayward if this is a sweep because i wrote about that in that piece for the ringer and like they're coming off of some really fuzzy feelings with the with the clippers and they have a great series and he has a great series and they look fantastic if they get blown out of the water here what do you think happens with him yeah one thing i know is that declarations made in may don't mean a lot in july you know, when the money's on the table. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, – I'm always hesitant now because because we have the Durant precedent of, well, you know, if they – if OKC had beaten Golden State, he probably wouldn't have gone there. That We try to read into so much about, how you know, the outcome of a specific series or situation. My sense is it really comes down to how much he wants – you know, how much does he want to stay in Utah? Like, I mean, I assume they're going to offer him the max. And if they offer him the max, it's the most money he can get anywhere and he's in a good situation. If he wants to leave, it's because he really wants to leave, right? Like, there's no middle ground here. This isn't like a Paul George situation. So, um, yeah, I, I would assume he would stay only because how many times are you going to get that kind of money? In a good money's spot. Money's a big deal. In a good spot. Money's a big deal. He's on a team that's young – it's his team. You put him with Rudy Gobert. They're going to be competitive in the West for a long time. A couple of mitigating factors here, though. If they get blown out of the water in the West, like or in the Golden State series, I wonder if he looks at it and goes, even with me and Rudy for the next however many years, these guys are going to be together for the next however many years, and we're not going to have an answer for them unless they put more pieces around us. And, yo, don't forget, Utah had the lowest payroll in the NBA this year. There are... As small a market as it absolutely as it comes, so I wonder if he wonders if they would be willing to commit that kind of money to it because people right now in Utah are going. Joe Inglis is going to get paid in the off season, and they might let him walk. I mean, right. they have to re-sign George Hill. George Hill's a good player. George Hill's going to get a lot of money, but is George Hill the thing that puts you over the top against the Warriors? I don't know. And then the last thing is, don't forget how this went the last time. He was a restricted free agent uh, a few years ago. And he wanted a 
a five-year deal and the Jazz said, why don't you go test the market and see what you can get because we're not sure you're worth that. And he went out and tested the market and he signed a, uh, you know, an offer sheet with the Hornets and then the Jazz matched. But like bad taste in your mouth on that one where they, didn't, they wanted him but they didn't want him enough to offer him the full deal and he had to go out and show them that he was worth that. And so I wonder if that lingers a little bit with him where he might go, eh, I didn't like the way this went last time. Yeah, and there happens to be a ready-made spot available for him in Boston with his former college coach. I mean, yeah, it's just sitting there. There's going to be no shortage of teams, Flan. If you have max money, kick off the list. I mean, like you saw, and this was like pre-Larry Bird stepping aside, but you had Paul George who said, I'd love to play with him. And you know Larry Legend is a big fan of his. And you have, like you said, Boston. Man, would he fit there? He'd be perfect. And also you reunite him with a guy who always believed in him. If you're going to say that like there was a time when Dennis Lindsay maybe didn't believe or didn't think he was worth that much money, nobody has believed in him more than Brad Stevens. Pat Riley's going to throw a ton of money at him in, in Miami. That's a nice spot. Both LA teams could be in, in the mix. Like they're going to, you know, you know, Magic is going to try to lure him to the Lakers. And then who knows if, if the Clippers detonate it and they have enough money, he'd certainly fit there. Basically, every team with max money to offer is going to want Gordon Hayward. So you, you convinced me. You convinced me. He's going. He's going. <laughs> I, it's the hard sell. I mean, I still think max money, you get more by staying put. But I wonder. I wonder. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, let's spin through these series real quick because um, yeah, they're going to tip off later tonight after we record this. And Cleveland did to Toronto what we always expect Cleveland to do to Toronto in game one. Um, disappointing result for the Raptors. Poor Toronto. And then Houston just blowing out San Antonio. Look, I watched their series during the regular season and there were games when – remember that was, there was the Kawhi game. That, that was the right. Kawhi, Kawhi had that game where he won it on the block and then – uh, went down, was it? He he wanted it on both ends of the floor. He had the block. Yeah, he blocked and, Harden and took it took it coast to coast. Right, right, right. And we we then the very next day we talked about it on the pod. And we went, oh man, is it Kawhi for MVP? I I thought the playoff Hornet uh, playoff Rockets would be much different. Uh, that they would you know like amp it up and do the Derry Mori ball even more. I didn't expect this. Did you like that was really shocking result. Well, I didn't expect them to go into San Antonio and win by you know 100 points or anything. But yeah, I, I mean, I expected them to play like this because that's what they said they were going to do. Um, and that's how they have to play, frankly. It's, it's, everything, is, everything is tough for San Antonio right now. And like, you don't want to overreact to game one. We've seen it before. San Antonio blew out OKC last year in the spot in game one and then lost the series, right? right? So um, you can, you can, it's easy to overreact to a game one blowout. Um, that said... It's just tough for San Antonio because they have a really hard time containing guards. And Conley ripped them up in the first round, and Harden's going to rip them up in this round. And you know, it's like you know Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson destroyed Lamarcus Aldridge, just destroyed him, and that's bad. But like, <laughs> yeah. but you know, at some point, like Aldridge is chasing around Ryan Anderson around the perimeter. Like, is that a good idea? You know, you got David Lee out there trying to defend people. I mean, I wonder when Pop's going to go to like Davis Bertans and Dwayne Dedman because that's that, those are his two most active, agile, athletic, young bigs to try to try to contain these other guys because the guards are going to rip them up. It's a bad matchup. Yeah, who's the second best guy on the Spurs? <laughs> Right, I, I know. don't think it's Lamarcus Aldridge. Not, like, it I wasn't in game one. Obviously, I don't know. He's been disappointing. It wasn't in game one. He's been one. disappointing. They need so much more of him, and I don't. I don't know how he impacts that series. I just don't. Yeah, uh, Patty Mills, maybe. 
Patty Mills, maybe. That's that's a sad country song if I ever it heard is, one. It is. All right, well, so we'll, we'll we'll check in on those series next week when we return on the Driving Podcast. We apologize for the audio issues. We're going to get those cleaned up. Paul Flannery's off to Toronto. Toronto. Stick here in England, uh, but we'll have another pod for you guys next week. Thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate it, guys. I'm looking forward to seeing you, Canada. Uh, uh, show me your best. See you next week, guys.